Good evening on this Good Friday. Unfortunately, we can't be together physically, but it's a blessing that we have this technology in order to communicate online. We want to thank God for this day because He gave us His Son 2,000 years ago who died for us so that we might live, and we thank God that He rose from the dead. We also want to be mindful today of all of those who are suffering because of COVID-19. We want to pray for those families who are suffering because they have lost loved ones as well. One of the issues that many people are discussing these days is suffering. In this message, we're going to talk about suffering. One question that is as old as the human race is, why do we suffer? So we're going to be studying that topic today. Many people have talked about suffering in the past, and they've tried to wrestle with this topic and some have turned to agnosticism or they've turned to atheism because of the topic of suffering. For example, one man who wrote a book on this topic is Bart Ehrman. In the past, he counted himself a believer. Now he's a skeptic. And he wrote this in his book, God's Problem, How the Bible Fails to Answer Our Most Important Question About Why We Suffer. He said, The problem of suffering became for me the problem of faith. If God is all-powerful, then He is able to do whatever He wants and therefore remove suffering. If He is all-loving, then He obviously wants the best for people and therefore does not want them to suffer. And yet, people suffer. How can that be explained? I can't believe in the biblical God anymore because from what I now see around the world, He doesn't intervene. The topic of suffering is an important topic to consider these days. And we see that the oldest book in the Bible, the book of Job, talks about this topic as well, and virtually every other book in Scripture. We're going to look at one of those passages today. We're going to be studying Judges chapter 6, verses 7 through 13, and we're going to talk about what the Bible says about suffering. I'll be reading Judges chapter 6, verses 7 through 13. It says, Now it came about when the sons of Israel cried to the Lord on account of Midian, that the Lord sent a prophet to the sons of Israel, and he said to them, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, It was I who brought you up from Egypt and brought you out from the house of slavery. I delivered you from the hands of the Egyptians and from the hands of all your oppressors and dispossessed them before you and gave you their land. And I said to you, I am the Lord your God. You shall not fear the gods of the Amorites in whose land you live, but you have not obeyed me. Then the angel of the Lord came and sat under the oak that was in Ophrah, which belonged to Joash the Abiezrite, as his son Gideon was beating out wheat in the winepress in order to save it from the Midianites. The angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, The Lord is with you, O valiant warrior. Then Gideon said to him, O my Lord, if the Lord is with us, why then has all this happened to us? And where are all His miracles which our fathers told us about, saying, Did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and given us into the hand of Midian. This passage is in the middle of the book of Judges. And what we find is a horrendous pattern in this book of the people of God turning away from God, then God punishing them, then the people turning back to God and God forgiving them and blessing them. In the cycle of the story that we see in this passage, 
We find that the Israelites were suffering because of the Midianites, the Amalekites, and also the sons of the east. What happened every year during harvest time is that these groups would come to Israel and they would destroy the crops and they were creating a man-made famine. Many of the people were afraid to stay in their cities and villages and so they hid in the hills. And we find people like in this passage, uh, Gideon, who is hiding. He's in a wine press. Usually you don't thresh wheat in a wine press. What that tells us is he had a meager harvest and that also tells us that he was hiding. And in the midst of this suffering, we find something humorous from the mouth of the angel of the Lord. He says, hello, valiant warrior. Uh, that's actually not true at this point. The valiant warrior is hiding in the wine press. But what the angel says is that he's going to be valiant because God is with him. God will bless him and God will use him to deliver Israel. But when the angel says, I will be with you, I will help you, we find that there are several questions that we find in the mouth of Gideon. What he says is, first of all, why has all of this happened? Why are we suffering? Why are we hiding in caves? Why do we have these problems? Why are people destroying our harvest? Why does all of this suffering take place in Israel? He also asked, where are all the miracles that we've heard about in the past? We've heard of the great things that God did in Israel. Where is God? And then he also asked, why will God not work today like he worked during the Exodus? Why won't he deliver us today? So there are many questions and doubts on Gideon's lips. We find many types of questions repeated on people's lips today. Why are these things happening? Why are so many people suffering? Why are these problems happening? Does God work like He used to work in the past? Does God care about us? And many people are asking those same questions today. This topic is referred to as the theodicy, that is, the justness of God. And the question is, if justice is in God's heart, if God is good, if God loves us, why do terrible things happen? And it doesn't take us long to study history and current events to understand that there are many problems in the world. Uh, one event that I think about is the Salvadoran Civil War during the 1970s and 1980s. My wife is from El Salvador and she lived through the Civil War with her grandmother and her sister. And she tells me of times where they didn't have food. Thankfully they had an uncle who was a soldier in the army. And sometimes when he had the opportunity he would throw bread over the wall and they would have something to eat that day. She tells me of times when her grandmother would jump on top of her as bullets were spraying through the house, and her grandmother protected her during that time. We also, as we study about the Salvadoran Civil War, read about all of the curfews that people had. There was an order for a time where people had to remain in their house during the hours of the night, and if they came outside, they could be arrested or shot. Glinda's sister was a sleepwalker during that time and in the middle of the night in her sleep she left the house and they panicked as they tried to find her and they eventually found her and got her back inside right before the patrol came through and God protected her from having to answer to the people who were enforcing the curfew. 
We read about other events that have happened in the last century like the Holocaust. One-third of the Jewish population of the world was killed. Six million people died as a result of the Holocaust who had Jewish ancestry. And then on top of that, five more million people died as well. And we look around us today as many people are suffering because of the coronavirus. Uh, we read the stories of families who have lost multiple loved ones, of hospitals that are being overrun. And we're thankful for those who are on the front lines who are helping and they are selflessly serving. But we see so much suffering in the world. That topic is the issue of theodicy. If God is good, if God is just, if God is loving, why do these things happen? And these are the types of questions that people are asking today. Here's a quote from the Oxford Companion to Philosophy that talks about the issue of theodicy. That companion book says that evil is the most powerful objection to traditional theism. And people ask if suffering and evil exist, does that mean that God does not exist? Well, the Bible has answers concerning our suffering, and we're going to see in this passage with Gideon that we begin to see some of these answers. One thing that we need to understand that Gideon did not understand in this point in his ministry is that we live in a fallen world. The entire world was affected because of the sin of Adam and Eve. And it says because of the sin of one man, sin and death and suffering entered the world. So we understand that suffering is a reality of a fallen world. There are some who are quick to say now that the reason why the coronavirus is attacking so many people is that this is God's judgment. The question is, is it God's judgment? The answer is, we don't know. The Bible does not say anything specifically about the coronavirus, although it does talk about suffering. Sometimes we try to answer questions that we don't know the answer to, and we try to put ourselves in God's place when we don't know the answer. So I don't know that we can say with 100% certainty that this is for punishment of mankind. We can say that God is in control and He has a purpose. What we can say is that in the Bible there are several reasons why people do suffer. One of them is because of sin. And so sometimes we do suffer specifically for sins that we commit, these sufferings are God's loving hand trying to help us to open our eyes and to remember Him and to serve Him. Another reason why we suffer is because of spiritual warfare. We find that Job and his friends didn't understand his suffering. Job said, why am I suffering? I've not sinned against God. And his friends also thought that suffering was the result of personal sin. In the end of the book, God said, who are you, Job, to question me? Were you there when I created the universe, the planets, the constellations, and everything that exists? God's answer at the end of the book is, sometimes we don't have the answer, but we know who has the answer, and we must trust in God. But sometimes spiritual warfare is a reason why we suffer. Another reason we suffer is because, again, we are in a fallen world, and bad things happen because the world is not right. The entire world was affected because of sin. And so... While we can't say why a specific event happens necessarily, we can say that everything happens because of the fallen world in which we live. But because of this suffering, there have been many people who question whether God exists at all. For example, 
Francis Crick, who was a molecular biologist who also helped to discover DNA, said this about our existence. He said, I don't think we're here for anything. We're just products of evolution. And Charles Darwin said this. Um, it's interesting to think about this quote and the doubts that Charles Darwin had because of the theory of evolution that he popularized. He said, The horrid doubt always arises whether the convictions of man's mind, which is developed from the mind of the lower animals, are of any value or at all trustworthy. Would anyone trust the conviction of a monkey's mind if there are any convictions in such a mind? What I mean by quoting these things to tell you is that there are no answers in a godless universe. Many people say we're not here for anything, we're just here for a while, and then we're gone. Other people, like Charles Darwin, said, can we even trust our own minds if we're the product of evolution? How can we know that anything that we believe is true on any level? We don't find answers with these philosophies. And in fact, when people ask the question, why does evil exist? That question doesn't make sense in a godless universe because if there's no God, if there's no divine perfect law, there is no evil. Nobody mourns zebras on the African plain when lions kill them. We don't read about that on the news. We say that's just part of life. Animals live, animals die, animals kill others. That's life. We know that we're different. We understand on some level that we're created in the image of God. And we know that evil does exist. But if we say that God doesn't exist, evil and suffering really don't matter. They're just a part of a creation that begins and just ends. And so there are no answers for that particular philosophy. But what we see is that God is love in the midst of suffering. God is love in the midst of suffering. We need to remember that. A few years ago, I traveled to Honduras to a place called Lago Yehoa, that's Lake Yehoa, with a friend. And one of the delicacies of that area is fried tilapia with a squeeze of lemon juice. And so my friend and I were eating lunch. My friend finished his fish, and he said, that was really good, but it wasn't enough. I wish I had another. And I told him, but, but you didn't turn it over. He'd eaten one side of the fish, but he hadn't turned over the other side, and suddenly he realized there was another side to the fish. Suffering is one side of this story, but there's another side, and that's God's love in the midst of a suffering world. So I'd like to return to Ehrman just for a moment and quote again something that he said that we looked at at the beginning of this message. He said, if God is all loving, then he obviously wants the best for people. What we find is, though, it's seldom easy for us to discover what's actually best. In C.S. Lewis, in his classic work, The Problem of Pain, here's what he said about God and God's goodness. This is an important thing to remember. He said, by the goodness of God, we mean nowadays almost exclusively His lovingness. And by love, most of us mean kindness. The desire to see others, then the self happy. Not happy in this way or in that, but just happy. We want, in fact, not so much a father in heaven as a grandfather in heaven. A senile benevolence who, as they say, liked to see young people enjoying themselves. And whose plan for the universe was simply that it might be truly said at the end of each day, a good time was had by all. So Lewis helps us to understand that when we talk about God's goodness, many people mean 
happiness. Happiness is not always guaranteed in this life because we live in a fallen, sinful world. But we are guaranteed that God does love this world. It tells us in Romans chapter 5, verse 8, that God demonstrated His love for us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And that's what we're celebrating this Good Friday, that Christ died for us. If we ever question God's love, all we need to do is look at the cross and see that He really does love us. There are some applications we can draw from this passage. Gideon eventually gets there with his communications with the angel of the Lord and he learns more about God's plan. We can learn these lessons as we study the whole of Scripture. And we're going to look at seven points related to suffering <clears throat> for just a few minutes. We're going to look first of all at the fact that suffering is real. We can't ignore that suffering is real. The Bible tells us also that when we suffer that we can weep. And when others suffer, we need to weep with them. We should not ignore suffering or think that just because God is good, that means that He's going to wipe all suffering away in this life. We have to acknowledge that suffering does exist. Number two, another thing that we need to remember is that the immediate reason for individual suffering may vary. Sometimes it's because of personal sin. Sometimes it's a spiritual test. Sometimes it's because we live in a fallen world that is turned upside down. So we must be careful not to be like Job's friends who were quick to try to discern God's word when God had not spoken about a specific topic. Sometimes we need to say, we don't know the answer, but God knows. And we know the answer in the midst of suffering, and that is God's love and His help for us. Another thing that we need to understand, number three, suffering is possible because we are fallen people in a fallen world. It tells us in Romans chapter 5, verse 12, Therefore, just as through one man sin entered the world and death through sin, so death spread to all men because all sinned. And so it tells us in Scripture that none are righteous, not one. The only person who never sinned was Jesus, the Son of God. All of us are sinners, and because of that, because we live in this fallen world, suffering is possible. Number four, thank God that He did not leave us in our fallenness. Galatians 4, verses 4 through 5 is a beautiful passage. It says, when the fullness of time came, God sent forth His Son born of a woman, born under the law, so that He might redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. Just at the right time, God's timing is always perfect. He sent His Son, and His Son died on our behalf so that we might live. Everybody dies. Jesus died, was buried, and rose from the dead. And because of His sacrifice, because of His resurrection, we have hope that even though we continue to live in a fallen world, that God is good, God gives us peace, God gives us hope and purpose in the midst of extreme suffering. Number five, Jesus took our griefs upon Himself. We know that Jesus died on our behalf. We know that He paid the price for our sins. But the book of Isaiah tells us that He took our griefs on Him too so that we might have joy. Think about that. He took our griefs so that we might have hope and joy in Him. 
It says in Isaiah chapter 53, verses 4 through 6, Surely our griefs He Himself bore, and our sorrows He carried. Yet we ourselves esteemed Him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. But He was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The chastening for our well-being fell upon Him. And by His scourging, we are healed. All of us like sheep have gone astray. Each of us have turned to his own way. But the Lord has caused the iniquity of us all to fall on Him. Jesus died for our sin, our iniquity, our transgression. He took our grief upon Himself. That's why Scripture refers to Him as a man of sorrows. He took all of this upon Himself so that we might have joy in a relationship with Him. So when we're suffering, we need to remember that Jesus takes our grief. Jesus helps us in the midst of our grief. Number six, this is the reason why we have Good Friday celebrations. Jesus conquered death. Jesus conquered sin. Jesus conquered Satan. Jesus is victorious over all and He is the King of all creation. It tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 3-4, through 4, here we have a definition of the gospel. There are three aspects to the gospel. Paul says, I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that He was buried, that He was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures. Jesus died, He was buried, because that's what we do with truly dead people. He truly died, so He was buried. Then He rose on the third day. If you're not a believer, I want you to know that Jesus loves you. He died for you. He rose to give you life. And right now, wherever you are, wherever you're listening to this message, you can ask Jesus to forgive you of your sins and trust Him as the Lord or the boss. That's what that means, the boss of your life. And you can know Him. You can know peace. If you're a believer, wherever you are, in the midst of suffering, you can give thanks to God that Jesus has victory and how things are now in an upside-down world are not the way that they always will be. We're looking forward to that time that when we're with Jesus. But while we're here, we need to continue to serve. So I encourage you during this difficult time to look for any neighbors who might have lost jobs, any neighbors who might have physical needs, they might need food, they might need other things, they might be elderly and afraid to get out. Look for ways to be the hands and feet. This building I'm in right now is just that. It's a building. Kirby Woods is the people. And so Kirby Woods Church is all over the city right now. Let's look for ways as Kirby Woods to serve God, to love God, to love others, and to serve others during this time. One other point I'd like to make, this number seven. Jesus is returning to make all things right. Not only is He going to redeem us, He's going to redeem this world, this creation. It tells us in Romans chapter 8, verses 20 through 21, For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of Him who subjected it in hope, that the creation itself also will be set free from its slavery to corruption into the freedom of the glory of the children of God. The world is upside down, but Jesus is coming to make it right. In the book of Ezekiel, we see the glory of God leaving the temple in the midst of Judah's disobedience. The glory of God leaves the eastern gate. It goes to the Mount of Olives, and then it ascends to heaven because God 
has abandoned His people in their sinfulness. In the New Testament, we see that Jesus returns to the Mount of Olives. He enters through the eastern gate. He sits on His throne in the temple. In fact, He is the temple. And He is God's glory returned. One day, Jesus is returning. He's going to heal this creation. That's why it tells us that streams of water will flow from the temple that will become a creek, that will become a mighty river, that will flood into the Dead Sea, that will bring life to the Dead Sea. The desert will spring with flowers. The lambs will lie down with lions. God is going to make everything right that has been made wrong. In the meantime, may we continue to serve Him. May we celebrate His death, His burial, and resurrection. May God's grace be on you. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this time that we have together digitally. We know that you're with us. Thank you, Lord, that we do have hope in the midst of suffering. Thank you that you've not abandoned us. Help us to be extra sensitive to those who are in need right now, to be your hands and feet in the world. Help us to do everything in your name so that people might see the hope that we have. We pray for those who are suffering now. And we thank you for the resurrection of your Son who lives forevermore. We thank you for the Holy Spirit who lives in us to guide us and to help us to understand your word. In Jesus' name, amen.